This is part one of a two-part podcast. Hi, my name's Ryan. I've been a supporter of Paul's for many years now. I wish to get the podcast and video creation part of the system we call Paul back up to full speed. And I think Patreon support is a big part of that system. Go over to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. Make a pledge for each artifact that Paul creates. Again, the site is patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. I think I think we got it working pretty quick this time. That was that was much smoother than last time. Um just real quick, what I wanna so now let's go ahead, we're gonna go ahead and start. And uh uh I wanna point out really quick that um uh all of this is made possible by my folks at Patreon. Uh, I've got I now have two Patreon accounts. I have uh one that is uh uh for the it's the old one that's now just for podcast stuff. And uh that one's just uh patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. And then I got a new one that's uh, called patreon.com slash pwvids. Oh look, there's stuff. I see I see monkey man saying boss. <laughs> People are here. Here they come. Uh I I wanna I'm just a quick note, I sent a gift out to all of my videos, Patreon supporters. So that's PWVids. Um, I'm not sure if any of the people logging in are part of the PWVids. Um, but what I did was is um, I sent everybody, for every dollar that they've given me for all time, I sent them a uh, gift code for um, uh, uh, the... Cobb style, building a Cobb style rocket mass heater DVD. And so, um, for, uh, for people that gave for all time, cause it's relatively new, so they haven't put in a lot of money yet. Uh, for people that, that forked over $9, I sent them nine gift codes. And so that's a thing that we're currently selling for 15 bucks a pop. Um, so I just wanted to say thanks. And then for the people that supported my podcast Kickstarter or my podcast Patreon page, uh, I sent them um, between four to thirty-six gift codes, depending on how much their all-time contribution was. Uh, for people that had contributed at least ten dollars uh, for all time, uh, and just a, a, a real quick mention that my uh, top three all-time Patreon supporters. Uh, uh, one of the, the first one has actually three names: uh, uh, Suleiman. Carrie and Sasquatch. <laughs> Did somebody name their child Sasquatch? And uh, the next one's Bill Krim. And then the third one wishes to have his name appear as Carrie Just Too Lazy. Uh, for the for the thing that we're about to record, for the topic we're about to go into, which is going to be pretty much covering this chapter on honeybees, uh, which is kind of a uh, really about colony collapse disorder and and uh, uh how the mystery is not that mysterious and the, and the solutions are very simple um and but but more than that uh, this whole chapter is kind of about um uh animal care because um as you look at like if i were to write a book on how to care for hogs and write a book on how to care for cattle and a book on how to care for chickens it's like 
uh, there would be a lot of overlap between all of these. And the odd thing is, is that, um, what we have to say about honeybees is, is very much the same as all of those. And so for the Better World book, uh, we decided to eliminate those other chapters and just have a very short chapter, uh, which I think is just two and a half pages on, on honeybees. Um, I mean, there's, a lot of people aren't going to be very concerned, but a, a lot of people are very concerned about colony collapse disorder. So we wanted to make sure to, to have this in there. I mean, you know, the book, we're, we're, we're doing everything we can to keep the book limited to 200 pages. Hey, look, I can see, uh, I can see the chat stuff this time. Hey. Um, somebody says I'm in class at my high school. So I wonder if Monkey Man is a student or a teacher. <laughs> I don't know. I think I would think that most uh, high, most high school students would not be able to tolerate that I exist in the world. <laughs> so I'm guessing it's going to be a teacher, but maybe Monkey Man will will tell us. Um, let's see. All right. Uh, what else? What other notes? Oh, we got to thank Jacqueline Freeman. So we took this chapter, we wrote the chapter, we sent it off to Jacqueline Freeman, who is in many of my videos and podcasts as. Uh, I, I refer to as uh, showing reverence for bees. And, uh, and she gave a lot of excellent feedback, which we incorporated into the chapter. We, well, we incorporated probably about half of her feedback into the chapter. And actually, she wants to um, – oh, he's 17 years old. You're 17 years old, and <laughs> and you follow an old git like me. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm impressed or worried or, or what. Am I, maybe, maybe the other kids, if they find out about you, they're going to have to beat you up. <laughs> but, uh, alright, um, uh, I'm going to, uh, so yeah, big shout out to Jacqueline Freeman. Um, I'm, I'm in a tiny house with bees in one wall. Oh, it's, it's Mr. Etridge. Um, so, Mr. Etridge, you have a bee-heated home because uh, uh, bees like to keep their uh, colony at about 96 degrees. So, when you put your hand on that wall, doesn't it feel really warm? I mean, if you're in a tiny house and you've got bees in a wall, I imagine you might not need any other heat source. Although, I am curious what part of the country you're in right now because if it's a tiny house, it can be moved around. I seem to remember you were in Florida at some point, which means that what you'd really want is a way to cool your home. But all right. Um, other other notes that I have. Uh, Kickstarter will begin in mid January. So Sean and I have been planning on our Kickstarter starting on January second. Um, we're having. Let's see. Uh, uh, Monkey Man. I'm more popular now because I'm publicly a hippie. I cycle one to two miles of school. I, I used to ride my bike 10 miles to school um, <laughs> when I lived with my aunt and uncle. I, I'm, I'm totally serious. I did. Right. No, there's people that did far, far more. Um, and and uh, I would uh, – uh, it, it took me about the same amount of time to ride my bike to school as it would take the bus to deliver me. So I really didn't gain anything. And the bus would usually pass me at some point because they have to <laughs> – they have to stop and pick up all the other kids and the stuff, but I just loved my bicycle so much. Um, so, uh, oh, Timothy, Mr. Etridge is in Florida. Uh, yes, the bees feel warm. 
And Matt is saying, be heated home. Yeah. Um, and in fact, I had this idea for the Wafati. We had to change the uphill wall, take out the old uphill wall. One of the ideas was is to put in a double wall and between the two walls to set things up so that there could be a collection of uh, beehives there, which would effectively uh, heat the home. But of course, with the Wafati, we need to be able to test that it's that the the annualized thermal inertia. Uh, Monkey Man says same. Uh, he's in Oregon. So actually, I was in Oregon when I was riding my my bike. I was in, I was uh, outside of Lagrand, Oregon, and I would ride to Lagrand uh, High School. Uh, long, oh, so long ago. But it was also an era when bicycles were not considered cool. So I was a nuisance on the road. Um, oh, there's other people in Oregon. I've a whole from bunch UK. of from Oregon's chiming in. Oh, and then here's somebody from the UK. So it's got to be like what uh, four o'clock in the afternoon. It's tea time in the UK, isn't it? Okay. All right. <clears throat> hey, we are doing a, a podcast thing here. We got to do this. Um. Oh, he's, uh, uh, there's a, so this guy, Matt, he's, uh, in Portland and, uh, I'm thinking of using, okay, I gotta stop reading the, the yeah. chat. You read the chat stuff. And, and, and so then you push, you insert the chat stuff. So I'm doing the, so I'm here, I'm recording a podcast, which is on YouTube video. So people watching YouTube right now can see me and I alerted the Patreon people. On when we're doing this. So this time it's a Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. and we didn't tell anybody else. Um, and then I think that anybody who would be subscribed to my YouTube channel and click the bell probably got an email when we started this off. And we did this once before. And now Bill Krim has, uh, set up a system and he's saying, okay, give me more podcasts. I'm going to process them. So last time it took a while because it was Bill's first podcast to process. And, uh, uh, now it's, it's sounding like, uh, he's able to do more. And so we're going to do, oh, look, I see, I see, uh, Eugene. So, um, I lived in Eugene for a while. I went to college there. Um, and only oh. now they don't say they go to college. They say you go to university. And I thought they were talking about somebody, someone they knew named Eugene. Sorry. Sorry, Oregon. Oh, oh I thought it was Eugene, Oregon. So well, it probably is. I just don't know my Oregon geography. But hey, there's another Canadian here. Oh yeah, so so you've got okay. So you, so you got some Canadian company. Good. Sean's a Canadian. We're talking to him in Canada. Um, what part of Canada are you in? Manitoba. Okay, I don't know where that is. We're um, above I, North Dakota. Oh, okay. All right, all right. So so cold country. Cold country. All right. Um, I was pointing out that the Kickstarter will begin in mid-January. We were telling people that it was going to be like January 2nd, but um, uh, we've had delays with the video part. And um, there's, you know, all right. So mid-January is the current is the current plan. Yeah. Uh, also, we don't have all of the chapters done yet. I think we got two left which in, included the one we just spent all morning working on. Is that right? Three. There's three left. I thought we just, I thought we had three left and we got one to the point that we pushed it out. Yeah. And then I think I found one that I lost. Oh, oh my. Yeah, so. Oh no. 
And and so one of the things I feel very strongly about is that we do not start the Kickstarter until all of the chapters are done. Um, uh, and we've got and that doesn't count does does not include the uh, um, artwork. And and we had some new artwork to look at today. Um, so so we're getting you know we're we're getting really really close. And um, but I think that what's going to be the holdup for two weeks is not the book. By, uh, like getting it, the chapters done, but getting, you know, the steps. We started the, the process for getting the video, uh, over a month ago. I think it was a month and a half ago. Yeah. And, um, many of the things that we tried did the face plant. And so, cause we wanted to make a better video than what I could make. And, and so that might still happen where I have to make the video, which will be not as fun, I think, as what others can do. <laughs> um, <clears throat> All right, let's see. Um, very much want feedback on this chapter. Uh, and so we're going to ask people to please leave comments on the YouTube video. Um, leave comments on the thread for the podcast. So eventually this is going to, hopefully, within three days, this uh, uh, recording will be mashed into the MP3 format with all the other editing and stuff that goes on. And then go into the pipeline for the podcasts. And that means that there'll be a thread at Permis about the podcast and people can comment on that. Uh, and then, um, the secret inner circle forum. And so on Permis, there's a forum called secret inner circle, uh, which is available only to people that supported our past Kickstarters at $5 or higher or certain past Kickstarters at $5 or higher. And you've already put this chapter up there. Is that? Accurate? That is accurate. So the people that have supported the Kickstarters in the past, which I know some of the names I've seen go by, um, uh, I do know that they they have access to that forum. And so then you'll be able to read this chapter as we go through it yourselves um, right now. And please give us feedback on it. Okay. Uh, I'm ready to jump into it. Uh, anything else? Any other notes, Sean, before we jump into this? Nope, let's do it. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, somebody's saying Eugene, Oregon. Um, somebody says, I got a bell. I'm sorry, I'm reading this. I said I wasn't going to read this. Look at all these notes. Look at all this stuff. Um, I'm a YouTube subscriber. Click the bell. Um, Regina. Uh, Regina. Oh, Regina. Rhymes with, yes, yeah. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> uh, the solutions to colony collapse disorder are embarrassingly simple. And so we start off by quoting Bill Mollison saying, though the problems of the world are increasingly complex, the solutions remain embarrassingly simple. In 2006, beekeepers began reporting that their bees were disappearing en masse. The bees appeared to just leave the hive and never come back. The reports kept coming in, and the losses being reported were as high as 40%. Of course, the first question that gets asked in such a situation is, what is causing it? Some research suggests that it is a virus or a fungus or a combination of both. 
Other research suggests it is increased pest pressure, and other research suggests that it is neonicotinoid insecticides being used on crops. Just a, a, a quick thing. I mean, there's there's so many things that are disturbing, but um, for nearly every pesticide, especially insecticides, the LD50 rate is usually very high. It's so it's it's toxic. But but these there's this this is part of a variety of pesticide that is systemic in the plant. It is throughout the plant in all of the plant. And so if you eat this plant, you are ingesting something with an LD50 rate. I, uh, when I did my master gardener training, um, it was, it was really disturbing to find out how toxic this stuff is, how, how bad it is for you. You start learning that LD50 rates and the like. And then you start to learn that some of these toxins are cumulative and and so then you know you can only expose a human being or a mammal to it for so much before the mammal dies and and it's like uh but but the whole concept of like here's an insecticide that is systemic through the plant so the idea is is that um but anyway uh, mm. <laughs> all right i don't want to be it's and it seems like too often i get into this whole thing where um uh where trying to talk about a positive permaculture thing and we end up uh just talking about poisons and so oh it's so disturbing it's so frustrating all right um <clears throat> continuing on uh and so here's the thing i don't think it's just one thing or even three things that are causing the problem i think that if the bees have poor nutrition, get covered in poison in the field, have poison in their home, and face all sorts of other stresses, each of these is going to weaken them. At some point, all of the stresses are just too much. My friend, Jacqueline Freeman, wrote an excellent book called Song of Increase, listening to the wisdom of honeybees for kinder beekeeping and a better world. Hey, that kind of fits with our book, doesn't it? It sure does, yeah. <laughs> In her book, she tells the story of watching a bee returning from foraging and being barred from entering by the colony's guard bees. After so many foraging flights, the bees' wings were tattered. After two refusals by the guards, the old bee acknowledged the assessment of the guard bees and did a voluntary walk-the-plank maneuver, falling from the hive and ending up plop on the ground. Aside from the tattered wings, the bee looked okay to Jacqueline. She thought the guards must have made a mistake, so she picked up the bee and put it back at the hive entrance. But the bee was committed to leaving the hive and walked right off the edge, never to return. Jacqueline believes the old bee embraced that maybe the greatest contribution to the colony would be a voluntary departure. 
Honeybees cannot survive without a colony. So the old bee was likely dead by morning. I'm tempted to stop, but I actually want to get through two more paragraphs before we pause for a moment. Jacqueline also believes that although most bees, bees live only six weeks, a colony of bees maintains a memory that goes back decades, maybe more. You might want to read her book to better understand how that might be possible. But for now, my next point embraces this idea. The goal of each colony is to thrive, grow, and then swarm to create new colonies. Because of their generational memory, a colony might know that they are not thriving as previous colonies have. Therefore, something is wrong with this colony. And maybe the greatest contribution to future colonies would be a voluntary departure. I suspect that it is not calculated or reasoned so much as there is some sort of instinctual metric that measures growth and some of the fail some sort of fail alarm goes off when the conditions are bad enough all right so sean any i mean i can see the comments pouring by uh, i see monkey man saying stop fucking with the bees any anything to share? Any of the comments that you feel are particularly like? Let's let's jump on that one. Uh, not at this time. We'll we'll circle back later. Okay. All right. I, I, you know the important point is is that and we've got it all bold that when it was the single V, it says maybe the greatest contribution of the colony would be a voluntary departure, and then when we're when talking about the idea of the entire colony, maybe the greatest contribution to the to future colonies would be a voluntary departure. So um, that's why I wanted to keep going. I mean, a, a big thing is is that, and and this is apparently a mystery to people, is the whole concept of you get to the hive and nobody's home. There's just a few dead bees. Yeah. And so um, it's kind of like, where did they all go? They're not. They're not there. And it, it seems like a thing where they can't seem to explain why they're not there. I mean, if they were simply poisoned, then wouldn't the hive be packed with dead bodies? So right. I I wanna I wanna do a shout out for Jacqueline's book. Um it's it's so very good. And I've got a, a podcast about Jacqueline's book. I've also got, I believe, several podcasts with Jacqueline talking about honeybee care. And uh, and of course several videos. And and it's like it is it is an extremely different way of thinking about caring for honeybees. And when I I made a colony collapse disorder video, like, I don't know, I think it was uh, eight years ago. I think it was in 2010 I put it up, and it's with Jacqueline. And it's got a lot of elements in it that were, I think people won't believe that it's true. So, for example, I, I believe that even the people that are watching this, probably half of them, would not believe until this moment that most honeybees in the United States are put on giant semi-trucks every year and moved at least five times per year. 
and and it's like so what they do is they move from uh uh pollination to pollination point so it's like uh the most famous one being almonds so when you consume anything with almonds in it then they bring in uh uh thousands of semi truck loads of bees and they're there for um the the pollination of of the almonds and then they move to the next pollination, and the next pollination, and the next pollination. They they get moved all around the country, and so um, oh, it's so it's so disturbing, so so creepy, so weird. Um, but I had to put pictures in it, and I also had to put uh, conventional beekeepers in there where I'm I'm interviewing them, and they talk about this migration of the bees. So um, it's. It's it's such a critical thing. So we're gonna we're gonna get into this a little bit more. But um Jacqueline's book I'll get in fact I'm gonna read the next paragraph. Jacqueline's book is called The Song of Increase because the colony makes a different sound for each general colony wide activity. The best sound is the sound made during strong, vibrant, healthy growth. The song of increase. I suggest that there's a different sound that signals disperse. Maybe some of the bees join other colonies, but most, including the queen, simply go alone and die quickly. This is my theory on why the colony collapse disorder hives are not full of dead bees, but are simply empty. Um, <clears throat> when I first got Jacqueline's book, I was uh, feeling like, this is a stupid title. Um, uh, oh, I mean, we, we need to get this book into more hands, more eyeballs, more brains. And I feel like the title is going, is, is so bad that people aren't going to pick it up. And, and so now it's, it's a hurdle for people to get to the book. And then after I read the book, then of course I realized it's the best possible title in the world. It's an, it's an amazing title. And, and of course, Jacqueline is a person who, um, has spent, I want to say hundreds of hours, possibly even thousands of hours in a chair next to the bee colonies. So the, the hives, the physical hives. Um, when I have visitor, every time I have visitor, there's like not just chairs next to the hives but there's chairs and tables and snacks and obviously there's been some beverage activity it's pretty clear somebody's putting in a lot of time sitting here um and so this is not just simple observation this is massive and intense observation this is this is a, a huge amount of observation and um uh and her book shares uh, the detail of her observation, um, and and then it, it touches into uh, the way conventional beekeepers manage uh, their their beehives, and and why that is not okay, and what 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 kind of problems it causes. And we have so all right. This whole chapter is squeezed down to two and a half pages. 
But I think it's this is also a great example of how we are working our butts off to compress so much into just a couple into just a few pages yes. because there's there's so many little details that we're touching on. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. <clears throat> Jim Jim in the UK says sounds like we're going to need a lot of bee watching to figure it out. My response or, to Jim is Jacqueline did a lot of that, and we can say thanks, Jacqueline. Yeah, so so now you can read her book and save all that time, and um, uh, you can go and observe something else and and share it with all of us the way Jacqueline shared her what she learned about bees. Yes. Um, with that in mind, okay, so I'm I'm going back to reading this chapter. With that in mind, I think that the entire solution to colony collapse disorder can be summed up in four words. Stop stressing the bees. While conventional beekeepers lose 40% of their colonies annually, organic beekeepers report 10% losses, and beekeepers who follow treatment-free methods using feral bees tend to have near zero losses. The more in line with nature the practices are, the lower the losses are. Um, you know, uh, just real quick, Sean, could yeah. you look up the thing that we wrote today about, um, remember how I said something about how like, uh, inspiring a Disney movie, uh, you know, featuring a little girl and, and the animals on her, uh, homestead? Yeah, um, okay. I, I, I kind of feel like, one of the things that we wrote today was something about uh, animal care, and and in fact, it's the, it's a chapter called something like "Animal Care for Vegans" or or why vegans would benefit from having animals in their gardens. And um, and we tried to make a list of like levels of animal care. Um, do you have that, Sean? I'm still going. My computer is okay. Taking its time. I, I think, you know, because the important thing is, is that there's what the conventional farmers do, um, which is going to be, you know, like a CAFO. Um, they're going to have those chickens in those cages that go on for miles or they have a big thing that looks like a giant warehouse. And it's like um, millions of chickens as far as the eye can see. And, uh, and they're all standing around in their own shit and stuff like that. Um, and then it's like, okay, let's do that same thing, but let's make it organic. So it's still a nightmare, but it's an organic nightmare. Um, and then, and then the next step up from that is what most people do when they raise animals at home, which I think is still awful, but, but better than what, uh, the factory farms will do. Um, okay, I got it. Okay. You said, you're looking for something that would inspire a Disney movie about a little girl, possibly named Gert, and all of her <laughs> animal friends. What was, so there's a list. So could you yes. just read off the list that we wrote this morning? Yeah, sure. So we talked about the factory farms. We talked about what most people do when raising their own animals. Uh, and we talked about how what we want to do is 
provide a life that's better than living in the wild. And then we wanted to explore what does it mean to be like have really pampered animals, so even better than life that's better than living in the wild. And then we get to Disney princess level. <laughs> I suppose so, it doesn't have to be a princess. I don't think it's a Disney princess thing. I was thinking like it might be an after school special or something like that, but it's basically yeah. the I so so let's see. If I remember correctly, it's um uh farms, so it's like factory farms. Yeah. And then organic factory farms. Then what most people do when they raise animals. Oh and then, yeah. And then the next item on the list I think is setting all the animals free. That's right. And then the next item on the list is to provide the animals with something better than if they were let loose in the wild. Yeah. And then the next item on the list was to pamper all the animals. And then the final item on the list was something so good that Disney would be inspired to make a movie about this little girl and her animals on her homestead. That's right. And so it's like that's that's our our ultimate there. Um and so I I kind of feel like um that that sentiment um applies to the chapter that we're reading now but this chapter um, kind of uh um moves past that in a different and we we address it in a, in actually a, a very different way. Okay. <clears throat> Uh, while conventional beekeepers lose 40% of their colonies annually, organic beekeepers report 10% losses, and beekeepers who follow treatment-free methods using feral bees tend to have near-zero losses. The more in line with nature the practices are, the lower the losses are. My suggestions for healthy bee colonies. Number one, when a colony is struggling the conventional beekeeper looks to attack and kill the problem. Most problems are an aspect of nature working as it is supposed to. Focus on long-term, natural bee health instead of attack and kill. I think that this applies to nearly everything. And so it's kind of like, okay, uh, this, this animal is sick. So here's a, a a cow. It's it's obviously sick in some fashion. It's it's got a horrible cough. And so, well, our, our instinct is is like, well, let's shoot it full of antibiotics. And so, whatever is causing the cough, we will attack and kill that. Instead, um, and and it's like I like the way Sepp Holzer approaches it. Is that okay? This animal is sick because. I have done something stupid. And there is something in this environment that is making it so that this animal is sick. So I need to do a better job of taking care of this animal. Um, and then when I, when I do that, when I achieve that, then this animal will be healthier. So rather than the mentality of attack and kill the problem, recognize that the bacteria or whatever it is that's giving the animal the cough or making the animal sick is a part of nature. 
it's it's uh, it's a part of nature that's doing its job to take out the weak. You know, like this this animal isn't supposed to you know be here. This 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 whole situation isn't working out. So I'm here as an agent of nature to correct the scenario. Let's not. This animal didn't make the cut. This animal, you know, isn't supposed to be in this situation. And so let's eliminate this animal from the situation. That's nature. And so it's like, so, so basically, um, uh, nature is when that animal is sick, if it's a, if it's a mild sickness, then maybe nature is giving you a C and providing a good environment for this animal. If the animal dies, nature gave you an F. You suck. <laughs> and so, <clears throat> but then if you're, if you're reaching, um, for the antibiotics, then you're basically saying like, yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm going to cheat. I'm, I'm going to, uh, you know, screw nature. Nature doesn't know what the hell she's doing. And so, but of course, once you start down this path of working against nature, it's, it's a very challenging road. Permaculture is all about making things easier for you. All right. So number one for, for healthy bee colonies, um, you've got to change your mentality so it's not the attack and kill. Any other fun comments coming in over here, Sean? People are snoozing. Or making oh, okay. Food. Yeah. All right. Uh, number two, bees get mites. Conventional beekeepers use poison in the hives in the hopes of killing more mites than bees. Many treatment-free beekeepers have proven techniques that show that the stress of a few mites is far less than the stress of these poisons. Somebody is saying pirate. What is? Why are they saying pirate? They're trying to see if they can get you to do this whole thing with the pirate accent. Arg. I suggested that maybe if you get enough Patreon supporters, I can start to convince you to add in custom accents. I I can't I can't do a custom accent. I I I can. I might pay money just to watch you try. I I I can make stupid voices, but those stupid voices are not tied to anything in reality. So like if I try to do a pirate voice, I'll end up with something else. That is not a pirate voice. It's like um, sometimes I make little accents and somebody says, is that you trying to do an Irish accent? And it's like, no, <laughs> no, that's, that's me. I thought of a stupid character in my head to make a stupid voice. I don't know where that person's from. <laughs> so, um, all right. Item number three. Do not buy conventional packaged bees. These bees are bred for scale and not for strong genetics. And they are often dependent on chemical defenses instead of natural defenses. Catching a local feral bee swarm will bring you bees that are naturally strong for your local conditions. All right. Um, oh, and then Monkey Man wants me to do all the voices all at once. Yeah. <laughs> That'll sound great um, in the podcast later. Uh, yeah. So the, so the thing is, is that, um, uh, and not only that, but if you, have you ever seen the videos, like there's a couple of, 
of new documentaries in the last 10 years that have come out about colony collapse disorder and, and um, uh, managing honeybee, uh, you know, stuff. And, um, and I remember in one of them, it was like, okay, so here we're going to artificially inseminate a queen bee. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, so, so basically what we're looking at is literally bee rape. And, and it's like, so here's a queen bee that's being held in like, looks like with something that looks like pinchers. And so the queen bee cannot move and a human being like opens her up and squirts in like, I guess, bee semen. And it's kind of like, oh man, that was really creepy to watch. That was, that was like fucked up. And, and it's like, uh, but, but this is apparently what the conventional beekeepers prefer. <sighs> now, of course, um, and then when you hear the story of like how queen bees naturally mate, I mean, it's, it's uh, a combination of something that sounds really magnificent and beautiful that could be its own Disney movie, uh, followed by, uh, watching Highlander. There can be only one. So usually there's like, <clears throat> from, from any hive, like they, there was a swarm. There was swarming. So the, the, uh, so the old queen took like two thirds of the worker bees and left because this is how uh, bees naturally reproduce. And they left behind five queen cells. So at some point in time, um, the five queens will emerge. They will all go up under the sky and mate with drones um, while midair. Um, I mean, that's got to be a quite the ballet. Yeah. And, and what, what a magnificent and beautiful thing, especially compared to conventional. And then comes the, the Highlander part where, uh, the five return and there can be only one. I, I believe they don't use swords, but they will combat to the death. Um, and, and there can only be one surviving queen. And that's the new queen for the colony. All right. Um, uh, and then if you want to, uh, I mean, there's there's uh, things that you can get, these little boxes um, that you mount in different places. And then um, when uh, uh, a, a colony swarms, and so that means that, you know, more than half of the colony leaves um, to start a new colony, and then the old colony does the five queen thing, then uh, you can potentially capture that very strong, very vibrant, very healthy colony and start a new hive. There's a, there's a there's a technique for that. And then other places, I mean, you can you, you can see it happen sometimes. Some people have seen it. We've had it. We've seen it once here at my place where um, uh, a swarm left. And then there's a swarm in a tree, and then they're looking for a new home. And once they find a new home, then the whole swarm moves to the new home. And we tried to put out, like, a, an empty beehive, but they opted to not go into our empty beehive. I think it was too close to the original uh, was the problem. Yeah. Okay. Um, What's our next one here? 
All right. Um, yeah, I could I could probably talk for another couple of hours about bee genetics and how to you know all that stuff. But no, number four, conventional beekeepers force a cell size that leads to larger or smaller bees. Thus, contrary to their natural size, by using pre-made plastic foundation, allow bees to pick their own cell size. Oh man, this is a huge topic. I mean, I'll bet, I'll bet that there's probably four books out right now that's just about cell size. And, and the earlier books were about like, uh, well, there, you know what? I'll bet you there's even more than four. Uh, but the earliest stuff was about like, hey, if you make your B cell size bigger, then your bees will make bigger bees. And, and then they'll be able to bring more honey in, you know? They're going to be, you know, heart, bigger, harder working bees. And then, uh, the next step that came after that was about, um, oh, I'm seeing some stuff in the chat about stings. Okay. Let me, I'll come back to that. I want to talk about bee sting stuff, but just a sec. So then the next, the next thing that they found out is, is because, um, the bee cell size was bigger and they were getting bigger bees. That means that they were inside of the cell longer. Uh, during the pupa stage. And so they were getting more mites. The, the, it was, it was making it easier for the mites to get started and to, um, be parasites onto the bees. So then people started saying like, okay, no, set the cell size smaller. And then that led to different. So basically the, the key is s- stop trying to define the cell size for the bees. Just let the bees do their own cell size thing, okay? Whatever you're trying to do, you're just going to make a mess. Just just leave them alone. This podcast is continued in part two. Don't forget, go out to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton and make a pledge for future artifacts.